0: This episode open and it is sponsored by Iron Galaxy. Video ball is a piece of electronic entertainment. Video ball is a sport you can play. Yeah, it is.
1: Video ball is a sport everyone can play. Yeah, it is. Go play video ball. You should. More info at videoball.net. I'm Cher Vincent, and I just dealt with a
0: lot of dental stuff. <laughs> i don't even know what that means and i'm james t green and motherfuckers we are back wow we are, that's aggressive we are back <laughs> you are very aggressive we are back yeah in the studio um and i now have a place in new york I finally have a place to live out there in crown heights brooklyn so if you're out there say hey don't say hey to him don't speak to
1: him say hey to me no not do that say hey to me
0: please Mm-mm. don't be a friend he <sighs> leaves you So we have something a little special planned. First of all, I'm happy we're back. I feel like we should give a round of applause to ourselves.
1: Yay. We took a little bit of a break for our mental health. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: And just like we really needed breathers, we've been going through some shit in the last couple of weeks, right? Mm Mm-hmm yeah but we had like a couple live shows. Mm-hmm. they were really good. Mm-hmm. Thank you to everyone that came out to the promontory and mm-hmm. saw us perform a new version of canon coded journalism and that's actually what we're going to present to you um right after we have a little bit of discussion. You told me you wanted to talk about some share um kind of elaborate a little bit more.
1: um we only had a set we had a set time on uh, the promontory stage so we, we couldn't talk dick deep as much as I wanted to talk about certain elements of the election, and I don't know. I mean, we're about three weeks removed from it at this point of the taping, and it feels like so much has happened since then. Mm-hmm. Um, not just his can't, not just his cabinet announcements, not just his Twitter rampant, um rages, which you know unsurprisingly has not stopped Um, and will probably continue to be a thing of contention throughout the next four or so years. So um, yeah, an interesting development that has happened and um, I kind of want to talk about it. And Jill Stein um, surprisingly is the one who decided to go and recount three of the states that were close in the election, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And, um, there, those states in particular were blue states for decades and now they're not. And I'm not saying there was like voter fraud or anything like that, but, um, it's interesting that that had happened. And I feel like a lot of that has happened because of a thing called voters rights act that, um, believe Wisconsin was affected by it.
0: Really? Uh, yeah. I, I have no idea about this. Like, what is it?
1: The Voters' Rights Act? Yeah. Okay. Um, for people who don't know what that is, it's a federal law that it's also affected by the state level, but, um, essentially it is, um, so there's certain polling places per capita for a certain community or a certain town. And it essentially uh, protects the rights of the voters so they can, you know, go to a polling place there, there are polling places available to you. Um, all also like, you know, with civil rights. So black people can vote for <laughs> that all falls under the voters rights act. Mm. And, um, I think twelve of the states, twelve, maybe even fourteen states that Voters Right acts either changed completely or was eliminated mm. so that the state could dictate how many polling places could be. And a lot of them have been reducing a lot of those spots. So say for instance you were in a town that had like seven polling places and now they're like four. Hmm. and um wisconsin was one of the biggest ones that i was affected by because a lot of them were eliminated in predominantly and mostly predominantly um minority towns of course or districts and um the lines were like four hours long <laughs> like when they called time there were still people who were in line who had been in line for hours just trying to vote Um, Also, even if you were like really, let's say, for instance, you were far away from it, you couldn't get you couldn't spend an hour in line just to vote because you were, you know, at work (laughs) or it was too far away. So even if you could, um, you know, you couldn't get there by public transportation or you didn't have a car available to you or it, it was like two hours away to vote. These are situations that were happening. So, a lot of voters who had turned out in 2008 and in 2012 weren't there because um, the polling places were no longer available to them. So, um, the thing of it also is that um, two million people voted for Hillary more than they voted Trump. And out of all the elections we had in this entire country, and then 200 plus years, almost 300 years of, um, you know, this country being in existence, only, excuse me, five elections have gone to, um, winner, the winner went to electoral college and lost a popular vote five times. The last time that happened was in 2000 for George W. Bush. So, you know, there, you know, there's, plethora of um, conspiracy theories happening because of um, you know just because of voters rights act also there's like you know voter fraud and all that other garbage like I don't think that happened necessarily voter fraud I think that probably the biggest fraud is probably the voters rights act which is really disappointing because you know you have people like in Wisconsin who were turned away or they just couldn't get to the voting places that they could in past years. So, or past elections rather. So it's, it's difficult to kind of deal with that because that's what hurt me the most is that, you know, people who, people like me had fought for decades to get the Voter's Rights Act in their state and now it's taken away and, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's sad. So um also just like dealing with um I guess this post election world we live in now, it's was hard. Um the week before the weekend before election, I had went canvassing for Hillary and got to meet a lot of really interesting people. But two of the people that I met who had the most interesting conversations were with apathetic youths. Was this college kid. Well, he had I think he just finished school. And he didn't want to vote for either candidate. And um, I, have a, I have a relative who also felt the same way and mm-hmm. didn't vote. They shall, shall rename the list because I don't want to drag them. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really hurtful and painful when, you know, you have people in your life who don't want to vote or just won't vote. Just because they didn't find a candidate that's worthy. and I don't know, it's I don't know, it was it was really hard to deal with that aftermath. But then also have another relative who reminded me of this other person that I spoke to, um, Canvas canvassing was um, a felon, which is a longstanding demographic that has been you know continuously um, ignored in past mm-hmm. elections and um in particular, in Iowa, where I was canvassing, um felons can't vote um unless they appeal to the governor, and the governor there is a very stern uh conservative Republican governor. I think he only allowed like forty out of six hundred felons vote mm-hmm. in this past election. Um, I don't think that's the exact numbers, but it's roughly that ratio. But essentially, very few people out of a huge amount of people were able to vote right. in the election this year. And, you know, I'm not saying that, like, you know, I'm not being a sore loser or anything like that. I, you know, it's, it's just that there was a lot of a lot of things happen simultaneously, and it's hard to pinpoint exactly what went wrong. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of case studies coming out in the next few years about what happened here. Oh yeah, there's going to be so much, so much. And I'm—I mean, we're just at the precipice of it. We haven't even—we're still—we're still technically in um, Obama presidency right now. Like it's like he is still our president. And he'll remain our president for the next six uh, days. So, like, we still are in Obama's presidency and his administration, but it's just very difficult to watch the news and see the uh, the upcoming administration and the picks are horrendous. Um, The one that terrifies me the most is his general, uh, his um attorney general candidate. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Jeffrey, no, sorry, Jefferson Borgod, Sessions the <laughs> third. <laughs> he sounds like a Tennessee Williams villain. Yeah, you know, like beats his wife and like drinks all the good scotch. Like he, oh God, <laughs> he's the absolute worst. He's so um, bad. I don't even. I can't even. Oh my gosh like <laughs> there's there's so many things that he has done in just the past ten years that if he did this on a state level if he, if he uh this the stuff he did on a state level he did on a federal level it would set us back fifty years mm-hmm. and that's not an exaggeration like yeah. what he's done with like women's rights and gay rights and um and people who look like at me and just Oh gosh. So, um, it's I've been I, I I've been trying to process this as much as I possibly can and also just staying, you know, aware, you know, I have been watching the news constantly and I haven't blocked anybody who's talked about Trump and that's the only time I'm ever gonna say his name during this talk and during this episode. That's it. I'm gonna live at one time. But I haven't blocked anybody who's talked about him or anything like that because I feel like that's how we ended in the situation to begin with. (laughs) You know, we were ignoring them. We didn't think they were gonna win, you know, so we sit in our bubbles and um this happened. So I think I think it's important for all of us to stay vigilant and to not ignore them because they do exist. They exist enough to out outshine us in this one moment in history and
0: we have to continue yeah that's real that's so real i literally have nothing else to say yeah you literally said everything that i thought too
1: yeah so um that's my spiel um it's you know listeners if you need like a a minute to like chat or like talk about stuff because like I mean yeah it's an an, you know and I you know some parts in like the live event we're talking about like you know 24 hour news cycle and just the idea of the 24 hour news cycle and how like they go on to the next thing and you know the the next news story you know like there's a like currently right now there is a um mother who was abducted and she got found um near a christmas no sorry jeez Thanksgiving Day she got found and there was like a hoax about it and also she was told that she was abducted by two um, Latino women and it was like and so like people were thinking it's either a hoax trying to start a race war or she actually got abducted by Latino women but like that's the next hot story that's going on that should I mean yeah it's an important story but the story that's happening now and the story that's been happening for the next four years is a very prevalent story of our lifetimes and we can't ignore it we can't just let it go by I say. it's that old now news. Don't move on with your life. Continue on. This should be a part of your life. Is constantly fighting mm-hmm. this. And as to speak today is like Giving Tuesday. You know, great Giving Tuesday is awesome, but every day should be giving. If you have a few extra chain, uh, dollars or some change in your pocket, donate. Um, you know, donate to a place that you like to visit that how hel- that helps people, or you can look to your friends. I'm sure listeners of this podcast or listeners to other podcasts have friends who work at nonprofits. If they are doing something that helps the earth and helps fight that person, then go do that. But stay vigilant and don't ignore what's happening.
0: Yeah. Ignoring is what brought us here.
1: Yeah. Ignoring. It's like that's even like gosh like, like i mean i was re- i was re- listening to an episode we did right before like maybe a couple weeks before the election we kind of like did a fantasy about um about him winning oh god yeah and i'm not saying that, we yeah, called that, it
2: yeah.
0: but we kind of did
1: i mean
2: <laughs> i'm not saying you, I do don't you say think, you do do
1: think so.
0: we're the reason why this occurred
1: no i don't think that but i'm, I'm but you know in my household you know we're like we're post thanksgiving now um we talked about the election very briefly, but it was more or less like Oh, you thought that, you know, he wouldn't win? Like, do you not remember where you live? <laughs> it was one of those conversations. It was very like mm-hmm. it was it was devastating, but also like it was a it was just a wake up call like oh yeah. Oh yeah, I live here. Yeah. So it wasn't we I mean yeah, it just it was sad it yeah. was um, it was um, it was sad but we also like know that like oh yeah we just have to keep on fighting and yeah it's 2016 you know we shouldn't be able to fight but yeah we have to so yeah. like there's yeah. no other <laughs> there's no like I shouldn't have it to fight well you have to so yeah.
0: you know yeah. so get over that
1: well Anyway Sorry to bring this Like really fucking down But
0: It's it's okay It's um, okay I mean like it's real life It's real life
1: Yeah And it's just what I've been feeling The last couple of days A couple of weeks you know yeah. I mean we were together When we saw the election Come oh, in And throw God. in And it was a very horrible party We were at a, We were at a mutual friend's house And they were also Part of the campaign And it was a very weird vibe You
0: know Like It got sad quick
1: It got very Like after Like cause, like uh, I like, came, We went
0: in We were like cracking jokes We were and cracking jokes We were like
1: wives, like we like, And then yeah. all of a sudden
0: it it just got sadder and quieter and
1: like and i think and like even early on like her numbers were like faulting like what is this and i kept on like questioning it but like it was like playing it off like it'll turn around and then i just didn't and I think the long... And I think... Um, and then I got nervous about, like, real-life Chicago stuff. I live... I don't live in the hood, but I live a the hood adjacent. Mm-hmm. And I was just nervous about going home because I, know, I wasn't sure, like, what, you know, anger might be erupting in my neighborhood <laughs> and mm-hmm. having to, like, travel home in a not-so, you know, great neighborhood and, you know, afraid that I would, like, you know, get hurt. Right. So, like... Yeah, it was a lot of immediate stuff, and then like long term stuff. Like I have like friends. We have like I have a a Slack uh thread that um Slack channel rather that um it's all women and just talking about like IUDs. Like all my friends are talking about getting IUDs or have gotten IUDs already. Um, I have an appointment coming up in a week or so about you know seeing how I can get an IUD. Like like real shit. Like it's yeah. Oh, man, we're living in a um, very turbulent world right now. So yeah. I don't know what's gonna. I don't, I've I've no idea what the world's gonna look like, and and that's something I in my adult life I've never really had a face mm-hmm. or grapple with. Um, I've been very fortunate that I've never had to vote for a white man as a president before. Sure, <laughs> I, <kind> <laughs> <of>. <laughs> Just saying I didn't vote for the, I didn't vote for White man in this election either So like And you know I have no idea What the future's gonna hold Um, It's very scary I'm going back to school In like a month Don't know what That's gonna look like In two or three years When I'm still continuing And like If I can still get certain Um, scholarships or if there's like federal funding for things like that, even though like we have a secretary of education candidate who is big on vouchers or bad on public funding for schools. But you know, yeah, it's, um, it's a scary time. So I really don't know what four years from now is going to look like and I think that's the scariest part of all is like what that
0: world is going to be.
1: Yeah. I'm hoping for the best. I really am. Because that's the only thing I can do at this yeah. point is be optimistic.
0: Yeah. And we keep fighting. And keep
1: fighting. Keep fighting. But, um But, yeah. So, oof. So with that. Um, yeah. You let it all out. You good? I think so. I, right. think I, I think I got what I needed to say. All right.
0: Well... We're not going to leave on this note. No. So what we're going to play for you right now is our live show um, that we had at the Promontory from the uh, Chicago Podcast Festival. Um, it was a really awesome time. Uh, we shared the stage with the show um, in the room that happens. Um, In the room that it's happening. That it's happening. Thank you. Um, Hamilton um, recap podcast, would you say? No. Mm. The interview. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay.
1: (laughs) Um, In the room where it's happening, it's a show on Airwolf, and it's two comedians. um, They are both obsessed with Hamilton, and they talk to other celebrities and or um, stars of the, the, the musical Hamilton about the show they talk they turn around a certain song and just take deep dives into everything that has made that musical what it is which is um a light a beacon of hope in this very dark dark world we are living in right now i mean it's honestly been like one of the few beacons of hope and light in 2016 honestly
0: Mm. because this
1: year's been a shit show
0: Yeah, so um, at the show, we performed a sort of revised version of episode 68, which was candy-coated journalism, and we kind of made some updates um, for the current state of the world, but all in all, it was a really good time. Um, Before we start the tape, I want to give a special shout out to Joel Hoover, of Fargon Productions, um, they were responsible for this crystal clear audio that you're about to hear. So, hope you enjoy, um, and yeah, we'll see you next week with a brand new episode.
3: Hi, everybody! Hi. Hi. My name is Tyler Green, I'm the Artistic Director of the first annual Chicago Podcast Festival. That feels nice. So, I am not going to lie to you, I'm a little delusional right now. Um, I've slept maybe three hours in the last three days, so I'm going to try to say some important things. Um, Correct me if I go a little off, you know, just tell me to shut up. So. First things first, uh, we did this festival in multiple neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. We started in Hyde Park, we ended in Hyde Park, very intentionally, thank you. Thank you for having us here. It was very important to me that we didn't just do a festival uh, around one neighborhood in Chicago. Uh, Chicago's filled with beautiful neighborhoods and next year we want to expand to Pilsen and Bridgeport and all the other neighborhoods that are here. So yes, you may applaud, you may applaud. Thank you. Um, And we're happy you came out. So we've got two really exciting podcasts for you tonight. Then we're going to do some dancing and some drinking, probably some drinking also before that. (laughs) Hamilton fans. We have Miss Eliza from the Chicago production coming on her way now. There is a protest, Mike Pence protest happening right now. So she's going to get here as soon as she can. And uh, then we've got this first show. So the Post Loudness Network uh, is an amazing network here in Chicago of shows that are dedicated to uh, minority voices, voices of color, and queer voices uh, here in the city of Chicago and beyond. And there were two other shows. We had Black Girl and Ohm do a show here, uh, and we had a show called Roboism. And this show that you're about to see is the flagship show of that network. And it's hosted by two of the creators, Cher Vincent and James T. Green. I think they're the future of podcasting. I'm so proud and honored that they can open our final show here at the festival. So please give it up as loud as you possibly can because these expensive microphones are capturing your applause for future posterity's sake. It's open-ended.
1: Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago. We know it and love it dearly. James has lived there for about four years now with myself will be there very soon. And despite the current climate of gentrification, it's known for good food and good coffee, and in particular, one legendary place, Cafe Jumping Bean. For about two decades, this cafe has been a staple in the neighborhood. Bright paintings line the walls and it's never quiet by design. The scene is tiny and the movement is fast. People rush in and grab food for to go or drop in for quick spurts of work. More often than not, you'll see families cut it up for to a table, digging into the rikasha sandwiches. But every once in a while, that comfy background noise of the neighborhood is taken over by a 40-inch box hanging on the wall. Café Jumping Bean is one of the few cafes with a TV in the corner. The TV usually isn't on, but its presence looks over you, hearing, waiting to be engaged. TVs are almost always present in areas where discomfort is normal. Bars, train stations, these are anxious places with a bunch of strangers. But cafes, you know, cafes are places of peace. And a little hum of work is always surrounded by calm conversation within them so why was the tv there after four years of wondering sylvia one of the managers at cafe jumping bean let us know
2: well we we don't have it on on a regular basis if you notice
4: it's really loud in here <laughs> see i have to talk very loud
1: and also it seems like everybody has their head looking at the screen head up constantly
0: This is the Open-Ended Podcast, where two best friends discuss tech, culture, and a side of sass. I'm Cher Vincent, and I
1: am drinking gin and tonic because I've had a very rough week.
0: And I'm James T. Green, and I literally had a cup of coffee because I don't know why. At 11
5: o'clock, o'clock at night.
0: Mistakes. <laughs>
1: And um, some people might think that a mistake happened um, earlier last week with um, a certain um, political um, event. <laughs> um, but you know, within this political or post-political or whatever you want to call it system, cycle we're in right now, there's this 24-hour news cycle that is getting in our heads it's giving us a lot of anxiety and because it's, you know, it's always at us, bombarding us constantly. You know, I don't necessarily have a per- an obsessive personality. I, I kind of enjoy sometimes watching 24-hour news because it talks about a certain topic and then drops out. But I think in this particular post-election environment, you know, it's pretty interesting to watch these these, new ca- these newscasters, these journalists, kind of reckon with the idea that this system that's been structured around facts has been completely dismantled by its viewers. And I think there's like pros and cons to that, you know, getting submerged into a certain conversation, a certain topic at hand, but also there's very important conversations that have been dropped because of this news.
5: I'm Sandra Perry. I make videos and I do performances.
0: Sandra finds an interest in the interaction of humans and screens in her art practice. And she's a friend of mine from New Jersey. Sandra and I are both curious souls with tech geek tendencies. Under the soft light of the Dorchester house, a single gold ring with a Nike symbol and the CSS hex code for black glistened as I adjusted my mic in a staircase corner. I happen to have my equipment with me while we were at this year's Black Artist Retreat. So I talked with her for a bit after dinner. So if you hear some plates clanking in the background of this tape, that's why. Here's Sandra.
5: They are the perfect places to see what the values of a society are.
0: So it's almost like like kind of like a bad like a badge system, as you will, kind of like this is this is our values masquerading as entertainment.
5: Oh yeah. Well, it's like a peak, you know? So it's like, it's really hard to do like the, um, to play that game of this equals this, and oh, that's bad. But I do think that it's useful, <laughs> and I think that like images mean something, and the images that you're attracted to, the propaganda that you're attracted to, tells me a lot. It should tell, it should tell you a lot, you know? And it's like advertising, but it's like way more efficient, you know, because you have, you have the visual and the, you have visual sound and you have a, like a succession of those things over and over and over again. So it's like, it's a it's incredibly efficient way to um, understand, have an understanding. And that understanding is like loose. Like it's a, it, there's a rigor there, but not in, in the way of like specificity. Passive screens, um, images kind of like float They float into that space and they float out. And you you catch on to something and you you don't. And I think maybe thinking about what um, kind of sticks with you or attracts you or makes you interested, maybe that says something, you know? Maybe there's some type of value in that.
0: So do you think there's such a thing as being too informed?
1: Yeah. Um, um, Yeah, a little bit. Um, Yeah, it's, it's difficult to kind of translate what people are saying to you as often as you are bombarded with news outlets, not just from TV, but from social media, from if you people still read Newspapers, um, <laughs> magazine outlets. I think some
0: people, either. some people
1: do. Um, I still kind of read newspapers, um, but it's hard to kind of form your own opinion so much because you, you know, catch it so passively on a breeze. And so, being too informed, I think, is it's I don't know. It's it's a fine line because it's almost dangerous. You, you know, think that oh, wow, this is an original thought, but you know, it's it's not so much so because you've heard it probably so much bombarded to you constantly. You don't know what's your thought or if there's anything. You know, like my dad, he, when I was younger, um, my father was an owner-operator for a couple of cabs. If you're not really familiar with the owner-operator is, it means he owned his own medallion. And so he was able to lease out his car to other people. And sometimes he drove, you know, and he enjoyed it. He enjoyed driving the cab, what he did. And so, for him, he had a litmus test on what good tippers would be, and that litmus test was Rush Limbaugh. Um, <laughs> if you don't know who Rush Limbaugh is, um, I, I, yeah, probably for the better, probably you're making some better life decisions than my father was. Um, but he... Being a math geek, he had um, pretty much ran the numbers and realized that statistically, people who kind of sided with Rush Limbaugh's thoughts were really bad tippers. And so he kind of like, you know, he would play Rush Limbaugh mostly because he'd always taught me at a young age to understand and know what the enemy thinks. So when he played Rush limbo in the car sometimes to get people like, who is this crazy guy? Who is this? Like, he's talking like this nonsense. He's talking literally loud and shouting on his mic. You could probably hear the spit coming from his mouth. And then also you have people like, can you turn that up? That's pretty interesting. So, yeah, Medell, you know, would either think to himself, cool, I can get home early tonight, or I better get back to the airport. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, understanding what not just the enemy but like the people who aren't necessarily viewing the world the way you do it's important because you need to know what you're up against and what you're fighting for
0: especially people that look like us
1: (laughs) yeah especially that
2: My name is Erin Cristobal. I'm a curator of the Los Angeles Municipal Art Gallery and a film programmer of Black Radical Imagination.
0: Erin and I met a couple years ago from mutual friends in this tiny little art world. She was also at this year's Black Artist Retreat and someone else I wanted to talk with after dinner. Erin is someone who exudes so much comfortable confidence with a wealth of knowledge Small lock the door in the top of her head like a queen's crown and her signature red woven choker necklace acts as a statement piece against her all black outfit. Here's Erin.
2: There's kind of three major moments that that um speak to me. The first was 9-11, the 2001 Twin Towers attacks. It was the morning of my dad's birthday, and I remember walking into my parents' room, getting ready for school, and, and seeing this loop of this airplane destructing these two towers, and that kind of following me into the classroom that day. Um, and being at an age where I didn't, really understand the impact of that um, and I knew it was bad, I knew it was destruction but just having that loop in my head but that loop not ne- necessarily justifying what that was supposed to mean in a in a larger way for our politics and for our nation um, the second one was Hurricane Katrina um, which at this point is 11 years ago so 2006, and my mom's side of the family is from an area that's not too far from New Orleans, so um, that also being tied to me, you know, in a familial way, and um, just watching hours and hours of people just in terrible situations, and And then the third was um, leading up to, or the night of uh, Obama's nomination, Um, the first first go-round. And, you know, I was in film school at the time, and I was working my little film job. We had a little TV in there, and we were all kind of glued to it that night, and that was really special, so...
0: So what did you first figure out, like, about the different biases from all the various news stations?
1: Um, I guess for me, it became kind of like a ratings game. You would have different outlets claiming different numbers, and it was rather confusing. Um, I intend to be a a channel flipper. Um, Honestly, (laughs) I always forget which station Anderson Cooper is on, so I always try to find where he's at.
0: And so he just kind of flip fast and then yeah, look for my, like, like look, silver look, hair. And yeah, just I'm like, like, where's
1: Anderson? He gives me the right time. He gives me the right shit. So I'm always looking for him. And then when I find him, like, oh cool, whatever he says, I believe. But um I kind of, um, you know, for me, I guess my like biases Scott started kind of young with. Um, you know, the 2000 election, I was 12 and it, I just started like reading newspapers. I was, you know, I, my parents had a subscription to USA Today, um, we also had a subscription to New York Times and Washington Post. So I was reading a lot of those stuff and just seeing the different, um, different perspectives of the same information from three different news sources. And then, you know, something, something as recent as like the Paris attacks, um, that happened last November, actually this time last year it happened. Um. Wow. I know I know but um each like MSNBC CNN um Fox News they all had different numbers and they're all wrong mind you they're all wrong I think CNN had like 108 number um murders um I think MSNBC had like 100 and I think Fox News had like 90 something it was actually 85 casualties but like the fact is that we are watching these news outlets and we think they're telling us the truth and they have the numbers completely wrong and so the same thing happened in this fucking election you know they get these pollings like yeah Clinton's, you know is three points ahead and all boards you know something happened that wasn't predicted so it's difficult to you know it's ironic you know the one guy that told us not to you know believe the media actually um, I don't know it's it's I need more to drink
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> here's
2: Aaron again the static and then the sound that's like accompanied with it perhaps it's like the the TV holds like media and moving image and essentially that means that the TV holds culture and society in a more dominant way and so um, the, the TV tells you how the world works I think nowadays at least in a more modern um, or western sense and so the TV holds that power. And it's really interesting that it is this instrument that technically humans can power on or off. We have the power to do that, but it holds that capacity to tell you what's happening in the world. Well, I feel like nowadays it's kind of ciphered off into various devices, like, you know, I would say cell phones and tablets and laptops, PCs, whatever, um... Contain more of that now, or that's kind of the way in which we're receiving that information. But I think of TV as the ancestor to those those objects, and as something that is still very active, perhaps more so for an older generation. Um, but the the TV is is something that has has defined. Um, Media and and how media functions and as media being the overlying uh, giver of information.
4: When I open up my phone and check my email and don't have any new emails, then I'll like flip through my news apps and see what's going on. Um, it feels like entertainment. I think there's the the element of news that's like I know this is always happening, so I'll just turn it on when I don't have anything else to do. That was Grace Singelman, an artist, curator, and teacher out here in Chicago.
1: I talked with her during a coffee date at a Filter Coffee, a cafe house here in my park with no TV in it. Grace, with short brown hair, large glasses resting on her nose, and high-top sneakers sat with confidence about her media habits as we settled on a large, yellow, lumpy couch with students sitting by us working on projects. Here's Grace.
4: If I really want to know what's going on, then I'll go to Twitter and I'll go to, like, the people who I trust and see what they're posting about something. So whenever there's a big um, protest or something like that, uh, then I'm always like, okay, I want to understand where where things are happening, what's going on.
1: These echo chambers, you know, these bubbles that we find ourselves in on social media, it's... Both a blessing and a curse. I think, you know, before, you know, the shit show that was the election, we found them as kind of like a safe space to talk about our feelings, talk about, you know, the hope that we were putting on Clinton, as opposed to, you know, actually talking about the real shit that was going on that was outside of our bubble because it was too scary of an outcome to think about. And I think well, I understand some of my friends have been posting about like I'm blocking anybody on my my feed who's talking about Trump or who is talking about like he's good for the country and blah blah blah. I'm blocking you. I don't want to tell you what to do with your life, but I don't think that's the right choice in this matter. You know, I don't think blocking somebody because they're talking about something you don't like is like it's not. I don't think it's. I think it's counterintuitive, honestly, because you should know why this person was elected you should know why you know they voted for this person because you know you're dealing with this you're dealing with this now this is our reality and i think being in a echo chamber being in a bubble of only liberal progressive voices is kind of probably why we ended up in the situation we are now because they you know it becomes complacency you think that everyone is voting for Clinton, everyone is doing what they're supposed to do. You have like people putting stickers on Susan B. Anthony's grave. And it's like, yeah, you know, even though she didn't like black people, but whatever, it's fine. Um, <laughs> bloop, bloop. Um, <laughs> facts are facts. Um, it's true, she, she said some really shitty things about black people. <laughs> um, that doesn't, I can't say that enough. Um, but, you know, you, Are dealing with a divided country, and you know I, you know I'm not saying that you have to human. I, I, I'm not saying like humanize these people, make them real, but like also just listen to them. You know they, they. Whatever you feel about the outcome, you know, their voices mattered enough to get this guy in. So I don't know. It's your choice. I'm not gonna block anybody. I kind of am interested to you know what people have to say. I've we have a friend who lives in Tennessee, and she has a show, and I want to know what's going on in Appalachia, how a queer woman in Appalachia is dealing with this. So I think those voices are valid.
4: I consume a lot of news daily just to have a general sense of what's going on in the world, but. I really like absolutely have like a summary sentence because honestly that's all I need in the moment because nobody has had time really to give depth of thought or real analysis to what's going on. So I really like like podcasts for my news because then it's smart people who've taken time to really dig through all of the stuff that's out there and analyze it and you know, then years later, I can come back to something that's happened and be like, okay, now I kind of get what was going on, because these people have put real effort into it. For sure. Do you ever feel overwhelmed by consumption sometimes? Um, no, only because I've decided that, like, I don't have to read that much in the moment to get what's going on, and then uh, there are times in my day when I get to consume the things that I want to consume and listen to the people that I want to listen to.
0: So like that really reminds me of this book um, that I read um, pretty recently, actually kind of like revisited it, especially with like all the shit that's happening. Um, this book by uh, Clay Johnson, it's called The Information Diet. Has anyone else in here read it? It's really good guys, you should read it. Well, I can't see cause it's dark, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Clap, so. make a whoop. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing about this book is that it really kind of compared all the information that we take in um, to that of like a food diet. Um, so this idea that if you take in a lot of not so like sustainable information, that in turn like changes your thinking, changes your habit making, um, and it really got me thinking a lot about like where like these twenty-four news cycle um, stations act as that sense like this feeling that they're almost like the very tip top of like the food pyramid, like these sweets or this like candy coated journalism in a way. And eye
1: like... candy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what?
1: Well, no, eye candy. Like you're just going to like bubble gum for your eyes. It's just like there. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, I was like, just... what? Well, no, it's just just there. It's like, you know, it's like an episode of SVU. You're not actually really paying yeah. attention to what's going on. It's just there.
0: Yeah. It was like, we always know something's going to happen to Olivia. Like... <laughs> Stabler you
1: know, and his fucking kids. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, like, do you ever, like, kind of, like, realize sometimes, like, when you're out, like, let's say, like, we're at an airport or, and then you just, like, kind of, like, hear just CNN just, like, around your vicinity. Absolutely. And then all of a sudden you just feel, like, your shoulders get tense.
1: Yeah. I'm at my office at work. CNN is just constantly on. And, you know, you know, you see, like, the... The, like the little um, subtitle uh, banner that's happening at the bottom of the screen, and just you're not even paying attention to it; but it's just in your periphery. You can't; yeah. it's just there, and it's just omnipresent. It's
0: really disturbing. Yeah, it reminded me because, um, like, we uh, like sadly watched the election together, and, and at like a like we went to a party, and we, you know, we of course thought it was a sad. Party. It was. It, it got really sad by like eight thirty, um, and then there was this really good tweet that uh, went out that. Actually felt kind of permanent, and it was from a buddy of ours, Stuart, and he was mentioning, a, and he's like also like a designer, and he was mentioning like how like the design of these like cable news stations are made to induce anxiety and at the same time keep your uh, your attention. So for instance, like if you're watching CNN, all the numbers were red, all the backgrounds were information yellow, um, dramatic music, and this idea that you must keep watching as if like you know, what happens next week in America? Like, you know, and, um, yeah. but in the end, you're, if you're treating information like entertainment, like that really fucks with you.
1: Yeah. And you just, it's subliminal and it's, it, you, you think you, like, like I said before, like you think this information or this, this idea is your own and, you know, probably has been planted a few months ago. So where does that leave us right now? Are passive screens just in- inevitable? wherever we go on public? Sylvia thinks so, at least a cafe jumping beam. It's kind of
4: strange. I mean, it's like, almost like they're controlled by the <laughs> TV. By the TV? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, huh <laughs> Kind of like they're controlled, uh,
2: they, they must watch because Also, they probably think that, you know, what? why is the TV on
0: here? But as more and more screens surround us, it may not be so strange to walk into places and find CNN playing silently, just telling you their values. You can either tune in or pull out your own screen and tune out. Thanks. Thank you.
3: Sharon James, an open-ended. Thank you. I love them.